Welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one merciful page of Talmud every day. In today's page, Psachim 73, we read one of these sentences that only the Talmud could really deliver that packs so much emotion into just four little words. The rabbis are talking about animal sacrifices, not the most uplifting topic ever, but Rav says something really striking. I'll say it first in Hebrew because it's just so poetic. Let me read the translation. Rav himself said that living creatures cannot be permanently rejected. The halacha of rejection, meaning rejecting animals from being suitable for sacrifice, applies only to animals that were already slaughtered. But living creatures cannot be permanently rejected from their sanctified status or eligibility for a mitzvah. What you may read is a very technical note on how the whole mechanism of sacrifice works or a beautiful allegory on the innate sanctity of all life. And to help us unpack this complicated and moving sentence is one of my favorite American rabbis, Shmuel Yankowitz. Hello. Thank you, Liel. Excellent to be with you. Thank you so much for having me back. My absolute pleasure. Rabbi Yanklowitz, you are so prolific and thoughtful about so many issues, but but this is one that I've read and heard you speak about very eloquently. And I have to confess, and I hope you would not mind a bit of, of sort of rude candor, but as a very committed carnivore, who at the same time really wants to take very seriously the notion of, of being at the very least ethical towards animals. I sometimes struggle with the arguments and, to be frank, the tone presented by animal rights activists. And yet here I come across a sentence like we do in today's page, and I really have to halt and think about whether or not I'm doing it all wrong for not going full vegan. So enlighten us. How are we to understand a sentence like the one we read in today's Dauphin? And how are we to think about this whole notion of how we should treat animals? Thank you, Liel. It's such a rich topic. And to be sure, I also struggle with the tone at times in the animal rights world. And I think framing this through Torah is a way that carnivores and vegans and everyone in between can actually appreciate the ideas together without sort of a a more hostile tone. And this is such a rich sugya, such a rich passage in the Talmud. And you can read that within the rich, deep historical context and the textual context that's involved there. But you're also right that if you pull out just this phrase from Rav, and you think about this just as an abstract principle or spiritual principle, philosophical principle, and you think, what does it mean any living creature can't be rejected? And you start to see, okay, this is not a human being created by Selim Elohim. This is not a human being with infinite dignity created in the image of God, but this is also not a rock. This is something, well, I don't want to say between those two, but something different, and it can't simply be rejected. And the concept we're looking at here is malim bakodesh ve'emaridi, that something can go up in sanctity, but it can't go down. And so it can't just be rejected. And while there's some comfort with korbanot, with animal sacrifices, there's also all these qualifiers. There's the chatat v'chatui, the sprinkling of the blood on the altar, the kisui badam, the atonement for taking animal life. And if we look at this idea, which is very profound, the idea of elevating in Hasidic thought, elevating the soul of the animal through its consumption, through its offering to God, whether it's kashrut or it's korbanot or spiritual intentionality, and we put that into historical context, we see that the akedah, the binding of Isaac's story, is so powerful because it is about the transition from human sacrifice to animal sacrifice. I know people sometimes struggle with that story, as I do at times, but one of the great ways to read it is that God wanted Avraham 
to get as close as possible to human sacrifice and then make clear to the world, never again will you sacrifice a human in my place. And there's progress, if you will, from human sacrifice to animal sacrifice. So they take the ram instead of Yitzchak. And then we see again, we might suggest progress from animal sacrifice in a post-temple Judaism towards prayer. The rabbis create tefillah, prayer in place of animal sacrifice. And the Rambam hints, Maimonides hints to the idea that we may even transcend prayer in the days to come towards a type of silent worship. You know, by the way, going back to the Akedah for just a minute, Rabbi Avraham Korman, a Hasidic rabbi in New York of the 20th century, said actually the task of Avraham was not if he could kill his son, but whether he could kill an animal. He argues there was never a time explicit in the text where Avraham killed an animal. And so the real test was not the binding of Isaac, but whether he could kill that ram ultimately. And I think that whether we're carnivores or vegans, again, anything in between, I think that the texts like this are looking to sensitize us towards the sentience of animal life and towards the sanctity of all blood that represents the life force that God puts into the universe. Just one or two other thoughts, which is that the Shemi Shmuel teaches that there is this progress from the Mishkan to the Mikdash, from the tabernacle in, in the desert towards the temple, because it uses less animal parts in keeping it alive. Fast forward, you know, 2,000 years, 3,000 years, Martin Buber is writing about, in his I, Thou, Ethical Encounters, how horses and cats were crucial dialogical encounters for him to understand this I, Thou concept of the dignity of the other. And so I think we have a lot to learn from animals. I think there's a lot of suffering in the animal kingdom for us to respond to. And I think also that on the level of Kedusha, of holiness, that there's a lot to learn from the Korban Pesach, from the Pesach experience in general, around, yes, you're permitted to be higher on the hierarchy, so to speak, in relationship to the broader animal kingdom. And yet that doesn't mean there's not responsibilities. I absolutely love this. And, you know, this This also leads me to this observation by the French philosopher Georges Bataille, who said, you know, one of humanity's saddest moments was the moment in which we took the abattoir, the slaughtering house, from the center of the town or the village, because as awful and as foul as it was, it really sensitized us to the awfulness of slaughtering animals, which we may choose to do, but may not ignore the horrible suffering that it brings about. And when we kind of relegated this to some other place that we don't ever see, because we only buy, you know, processed meat in the supermarket that comes in neat little packages and we don't have to think about it, we're actually sort of not doing ourselves any favors, morally speaking. Yes. And so I, where I think we're, where we can unite, regardless of where we stand on the consumption of meat, is that factory farming has it wrong. We know it's bad for the environment. We know it's the worst torture of animals we've ever seen on this planet. We know it's also intertwined with abuse of workers in many cases and the human health aspects of chemicals that are involved. But since you went to France, let me go to France. For I will say, hold on, it, just permit me to say amen to that. I, I happen to personally think that there are probably very few greater moral failings at the moment than factory farming. Wow. Wow. Well, I do believe with the question of what will our kids or grandkids be surprised we allowed in our day, I'm sure we can make a long list, but there's no doubt that on the top of that list is factory farming for me in terms of what we're allowing. Now, just the last point, since you went to France, let me go to France briefly, because Emmanuel Levinas talked about how when he was in the Shoah in a concentration camp, 
that a dog came over to him and looked him in the eyes and he said he was the last Kantian in Nazi Germany, that this dog saw him as a human being in the way that the Nazis did not. And he talks about this moment of this encounter with this animal and how this animal was capable of seeing something that the Nazis were themselves not and so were not capable of. And so I just give us all the bracha on our continuing learning of Daf Yomi that we continue to see these ideas as intellectually rich, but also as morally challenging. Amen to that. Rabbi Ankowitz. thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you so much, Leo. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Magazine. If you enjoy this show, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafiomi. I'm your host, Leah Liebowitz. Our producer is Josh Cross, and our editor is Paul Ruest. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic, and we'll see you again soon. Music